if you take one thing away from this podcast, it is hire John Leguizamo to be in your movie. Lyrics for Lunch, the show where we've got the snackable stories behind some of your favorite songs. Class, The classic one. Back to the classic. I'm your host, Lindsay Tucker, and I am here today with Aviv. Hi, I'm Aviv. We're back. We're back. Lindsay's back. Lindsay, how was your vacation? It was really nice. It was great to just have no agenda and no cell phone. I was in Mexico, and um, it was one of those situations where most of the shops and restaurants don't take cards so you're just you just got some cash on you and that's it buying by the seat of your pants that sounds kind of lovely yeah it was awesome special thanks to alex for filling in last week yes huge thanks to alex yeah so okay what's up what's up we have some news oh we oh what what Uh uh-huh we have some news um we have a new supporter Yes. That we would love to thank. Yeah, thank you very much to... Luke. Hi, Luke. Luke, Hi, Luke. I don't know how to say your last name, but you're dope. Thank you so much. We appreciate your support more than you ever know. And if other people want to support us, how can they do such a thing? They can go to our website, lyricsforlunch.com, and click support. Yes, and I got a, a bunch of the same text message which was a screenshot of vanessa larue veasley who is someone who i don't know but she's like a she's the owner of super glow oil and she tweeted she tweeted yesterday and today that she just discovered that there was a hall and oats hotline called call and oats which yes. uh, she may or may not have learned from our podcast. But Alex sent that in, and Sonia sent that in, and so thank you very much uh, to Alex, Sonia, and apparently also Vanessa LaRue. Love calling All right, let's get down to business, shall we? Are we defeating the Huns? Yes. <laughs> um, so what are, we, what are we talking about today? This, this is we a are... really perplexing one for me. I'm not going to lie. Oh, really? That. You don't know why we're doing this? No, not at all. <laughs> Well, we are here today to talk about the 1999 hit single, Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. Uh, let me just say you had zero qualms when I said I was going to do it. No, no, no. I don't, think, I don't think it's a bad idea to do it. I think that the song, it is baffling to me. So I, like, <laughs> I re-listened to the song yesterday because I was like, I haven't heard the song in 20 years. And I'm like, how did they allow this? to happen like a five minute (laughs) spoken word advice column was just like a huge it was on now it was on like the first or second (laughs) now album yeah well i'm gonna tell you how it happened oh oh i'm very excited what do you remember about this song um i distinctly remember listening to it in the parking lot of a grocery store while my mom bought lottery tickets on the radio or maybe on my now that's what i call music volume two that i owned <laughs> um, is this a tape or a cd it was a cd i wasn't fucking around with tapes <laughs> in my um, 
did they put out now on they must I have, feel like right? they must have yeah, in the, in yeah. the beginning um and uh, about the song specifically i remember that it was popular i remember that it was uh, kind of baffling even at the time why it was popular and it, it's just five minutes of spoken word like advice the good advice good, good, <laughs> short good advice the the advice that i remember specifically is i mean do you think it was good advice it was more of a question oh i don't re- i honestly don't remember th- i remember where sunscreen obviously I remember uh, the one that that I remember very clearly is live in New York, but leave before it makes you hard and live in Northern California, but leave before it makes you soft. And I think about that kind of a lot. I live in South. I California, used to think but, about that a lot, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I wanted to move to New York after college, but I also like wanted to move to California. I wasn't sure which one I wanted to do. New York sucks. I interned in New York and I hated it. Yeah, New York so I didn't is move there. the dirt worst. <laughs> yeah, and I remember it being kind of like there was like an arc where where then there was like it was very easy to parody because it's just someone talking over like a beat, and so mm-hmm. I remember that there were some parodies, and I all I, I also remember like this is young Aviv. I remember thinking that this was Moby. <laughs> or maybe i knew that it was Baz Luhrmann because like i could read it off of the seat the back of the cd case or whatever but like in my head i like closed my eyes and i saw moby moby's voice recording this and i also thought it was Baz Luhrmann's voice for like the longest time until i saw yeah. what he looked like and sounded like and i was like this is not him right a lot of people also yeah thought it was Baz's voice um and a lot of people thought that Baz wrote it there was, I just remember there being like a lot of outrage, um, like among teenagers when they're like, he didn't even write the song. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what, so like what, what he didn't write the song. <laughs> who wrote, who wrote? Wait, you didn't know that at all? N- no, no. Oh, <laughs> oh. No, he didn't write the song. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, 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 okay. He didn't write the song. He definitely didn't perform the song. So, like, why? Well, he didn't write the lyrics. He made the song. He he put to get he put the song to. He was the producer of the song. That feels yes. a, that feels a little like putting your slapping your name on a project that someone else did. But yeah, I think the teenage outrage was maybe appropriate. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, um, he, he's like, it's like made by these seven different people collated by Baz Luhrmann. Yes, the puzzle master. The puzzle master. And uh you know, it's a that's basically all I I remember. Yeah. Ask me. Do, do must I? <laughs> yes. <laughs> what do you, what do you remember of the song? I'm very I'm very concerned about your answer to this. <laughs> so I remember um I graduated eighth grade in 1999. Would we call that graduating? <laughs> I mean, in eighth grade graduation, yes, we did. We had a dance. We got dresses. You know, we wore the cap and gown. And it wow, was a big deal. That's, like, that's... we were going to high school. Okay, that's a lot. Well, in my school, it was like you have your sending district. So you, like, go k through eighth with this one group and mm. then you go to high school with like all of these schools from around the area and it was scary it was like are we all going to be friends are we going to have classes no, together 
<laughs> is 9-11 going to happen? <laughs> right. So I remember it feeling like a big deal and like a big moment. And oh, like I yeah. had this. I mean, I, I also remember my junior high school graduation. So my mine was very weird the way that my school was set up, which was K through six was elementary school. Seven, okay. eight, nine was junior high and 10, 11, so 12 weird. was high school. It was very what? weird. So I graduated junior high at the end of ninth grade, which was in 2000. That feels like a ripoff. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes, but you know. Did I cry walking home from my last day of junior high? Maybe. Was it <laughs> about this, was it about this song? Certainly not. <laughs> well, because that was like 2001. Yeah. How many spring so mine chicken? Was <laughs> mine was 90 you're 6 weeks younger than me, all right? But one grade plus this weird junior high thing. So we we are not Be the same. Because I'm smarter than you. That's true. Just because I'm smarter than you. No one denies this. <laughs> um, okay, so it's 1999. I have a class of 1999 picture frame on my dresser next to my blow up, my blow up chair from Claire's. <laughs> mm -hmm. The neon pink blow up chair. <laughs> yes, it was purple. And yeah, I just remember feeling, you know, very like, like I felt. I felt like it, the song was speaking to me. And it's interesting because I don't think that the writers thought they were no, talking to eighth graders. Weren't. No, <laughs> You felt that the song was speaking to you, but it wasn't. But it was because I still, I still think about some of the advice. Like, yeah, don't, like the true. part that's like, there's a part that's like, don't worry. I actually, I can't really quote it well, but it's just like the, the things that blindside you in your life like won't be something you ever worried about something like that I, i'm really Great. butchering this are we gonna are we gonna <laughs> do you want to listen to the song Great. yes we're gonna listen to it right now ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99 wear sunscreen if i could offer you only one tip for the future sunscreen would be it the long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience i will dispense this advice now enjoy the power and beauty of your youth oh, never mind you will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they fade it. But trust me, in 20 years, you'll look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now I how much possibility lay this. before you and how fabulous you really are. <laughs> I haven't heard this you in a very long time, and now imagine. I'm old, and I'm like, he was right. Don't worry about the future. Or worry, but know that worrying is as effective as trying to solve an algebra equation by chewing bubblegum. The real troubles in your life are apt to be things that never crossed your worried mind, the kind that blindsides you at 4 p.m. on some idle Tuesday. Do one thing every day that scares you. Say, this is on the internet. Don't be reckless with everywhere. other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless. Do one yours. thing every day that scares you. I'm floss. Oh. Don't okay. waste your time on jealousy. That's like Sometimes some fucking ahead. corporate bullshit. Sometimes you're behind. Speech. The race is long, 
And in the end, it's only with yourself. Remember compliments you receive. Forget the insults. If you succeed in doing this, tell me how. Keep your old love letters. Throw away your old bank statements. Stretch. Don't feel guilty if you don't know what you want to do with your life. The most interesting people I know didn't know at 22 what they wanted to do with their lives. Some of the most interesting 40-year-olds I know still don't. Get plenty of calcium. Be kind to your needs. You'll miss them when they're gone. I mean, I still, in my regular life, think about little nuggets from the song. Me too, kind of. I live, I think about the uh, live in Northern California, but but leave before it makes you soft all the time. Whatever you do, don't congratulate yourself too much or berate yourself either. Your choices are half chance. So are everybody else's. This is very well Enjoy put together. Like, it, it is Use a little baffling that they're doing like a spoken, a five-minute spoken word thing. But like the music the works, the rhythm works. Dance. Mm-hmm. Even if you have nowhere to do it, but in your own living room, read the directions. Even if you don't follow them, do not read beauty magazines. They will only make you feel ugly. Brother and sister, together we'll make it through. Someday our spirit will take you and guide you there. I know you've been hurting, but I've been waiting to be to know your parents. You never know when they'll be gone for good. Be nice to your siblings. They're your best link to your past and the people most likely to stick with you in the future. Understand that friends come and go, but with a precious few, you should hold on. Work hard to bridge the gaps in geography and lifestyle, because the older you get, more you need the people you knew when you were young. Live in New York City once, but leave before it makes you hard. Live in Northern California once, but leave before it makes you soft. Travel. Accept certain inalienable truths. Prices will rise. Politicians will philander. You too will get old. And when you do, you'll fantasize that when you were young, Prices were reasonable, politicians were noble, and children respected their elders. Respect your elders. Don't expect anyone else to support you. Maybe you have a trust fund, maybe you'll have a wealthy spouse, but you never know when either one might run out. Don't mess too much with your hair, or by the time you're 40, it will look 85. Be careful whose advice you buy. But be patient with those who supply it. Advice is a form of nostalgia. Dispensing it is a way of fishing the past from the disposal, wiping it off, painting over the ugly parts, and recycling it for more than it's worth. 
But trust me, I'm the sunscreen. story with Australian writer, filmmaker, and producer Baz Luhrmann, although that's not really where the story begins. You're just trying to talk about Leonardo DiCaprio again, aren't you? I'm always here for the Leo. I know it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we're going to start with Baz Luhrmann. So Aviv, who is Baz Luhrmann? Baz Luhrmann is an Australian writer, director, filmmaker, producer. He His first star-making film was called Strictly Ballroom. And then you'd know him from Romeo Plus Juliet, starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Claire Danes. And then kind of diminishing returns from there. He did Moulin Rouge, which everyone loves but me. And most recently, he did Australia, which is bad. And most recently, I think, was his version of The Great Gatsby, which was mm-hmm. also bad, mm-hmm. which also started in Mark Avril. Yeah. So let's mediocre. just go. It was mediocre. Okay. Let's just roll it back <laughs> to um, <laughs> Strictly Ballroom was mm-hmm. the first in what is known as his Red Curtain trilogy of films. Which is that Moulin Rouge and Romeo plus Juliet? Yeah. Okay. Also, you can call it Romeo and Juliet, right? No, like, I can't. <laughs> okay. There's um, a plus so... sign there. <laughs> you, plus sign, me, equal sign, us. We should calculus. do that <laughs> yeah. um, All right. So do you know what Red Curtain Cinema is? No. Or like what the trilogy was? It was Strictly Ballroom. No, Romeo but, plus Juliet. Yeah. Okay. So um, Red Curtain Cinema is a term coined by Lerman himself to describe oh, his style. His style uh, of using okay, okay, like... Okay. Now, now that I know this, <laughs> now that I know this, can I, can I take a guess? Yeah. So it's blending theater performances yeah. with cinema. And it's yeah. like you're watching a filmed play, which is not what people go to the movies for but yeah so it's like a, a, and that translates to like the acting is very big the sets are very lavish and colorful and the makeup and the production design is very like car, almost like cartoonishly big because that's mm-hmm. how you would see it in a theater yes exactly right a plus thank you uh okay so strictly ballroom which as you said was like his first that was his first writer director debut before that he was mm-hmm. in a couple of films as an actor then oh, yeah. in uh 
I think it was 92. Yep, 1992. He did Strictly Ballroom, which became the seventh most successful film of all time at the Australian box office. And it became a cult hit in America. And it's his most restrained of all of them Mm -hmm. in terms of like wild, like you can tell that he doesn't have an unlimited budget. Right. Yeah. Um, for that film, he received many accolades, including American Film Institute Awards for Best Director and Best Screenplay, and the ALFS Award, which I guess is London Film Critics Circle Association for Newcomer of, of the Year. Films. Okay, sure. Great. For Newcomer of the Year. So a lot of accolades, massive success. So after he does Strictly Ballroom, then he's like kind of becoming somewhat of a Hollywood darling. You know, he was Australia. Now he's like mm-hmm. full on Hollywood. Right. Um, so in 1996, he makes Romeo and Juliet the second in the Red Curtain trilogy. Great. I actually, <laughs> I think that that's his best movie. I don't care for Milan Rouge and I really don't care for anything past Milan Rouge. But I think that the Romeo and Juliet version that he does is really good agreed yeah yeah um (laughs) so seems like he pretty much had his pick of actors for that cast it's a for the time for the late 90s you have claire danes you have leonardo dicaprio you had paul rudd you have leguizamo who's like a power Uh player at this this time right pete postlewaite the great is that the old man yeah he's the apothecary or he's the one that yeah, marries yeah, yeah. them, I think. Yeah. He, that's he is he's both. Right. Yeah. I read an article in Refinery Twenty Nine that Natalie Portman was up for the role of Juliet. Do you want to guess why she didn't get it? Star Wars. No, because she was only thirteen. <laughs> Sorry. And the producers realized it would be a little inappropriate for her to be making out with Leo, who's twenty one. He was twenty one? He's that much yeah. older than she is? My mind's blown. I'm, I'm not being so I realize that that sounded sarcastic but to me they are like in my head they're the same age because they're the same kind of like era of Hollywood yeah but it's no. weird that he's eight years old I guess eight years isn't that much but like yeah she's okay now, I like Natalie Portman oh I, I like Claire her. Danes too she's fantastic but, yeah so Danes was 17 when the film was filmed um slightly better Remember, in the book, Juliet is actually only 13. But isn't Romeo like 15? They don't say how old he is. Oh, really? Shakespeare never said it. I don't think so. So he's like 40? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Um, Okay. So Romeo and Juliet earned Baz Luhrmann BAFTA Awards for Best Direction and Best Adapted Screenplay, and it made $151.8 million at the box office. Anything else you want to tell us about Romeo plus Juliet? It's really good. I, I, it's got Michael from Lost in it, and uh, I think John Leguizamo is horribly underused in basically everything, but he's great in that. Yeah, he is. I, th- I think, and there is a yeah. scene that is from one of those <laughs> Ben Stiller movies that is a hundred percent. Didn't I? Haven't I gone over this with you? How there's like no. this scene from a Ben Stiller movie where they're like spraying each other with gasoline, and I'm hundred yeah, yeah, percent sure that's from the opening scene of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> oh, where he kills uh, Mercutio, where Mercutio kills whatever Tybalt. You bite your thumb at me, sir. That's the I do not bite my thumb, but I bite my thumb at you, sir. Yeah, yeah, backwards, yeah. but yeah, that is the scene. It's scene by scene. You need to watch it. It's the same. Oh, that's fun. Um, I'm not the biggest Zoolander person. Me either. I obviously couldn't even remember the name of it. <laughs> if you take one thing away from this podcast, it is 
hire John Leguizamo to be in your movie. <laughs> uh, great. Okay. So after Romeo and Juliet, Baz was working with his music supervisor, Anton Monstead, and the two of them were preparing to make a musical. Moulin Rouge, you're making a face. I don't like that movie at all. I don't love it either, but it's fine. Uh, we yeah. are not here to talk about things we don't like. Well, yes, we are, but not Moulin Rouge. <laughs> <laughs> it's Moulin um, Rouge exclamation point. Okay. Punctuation police. So as a warm-up for doing the musical, they said they decided to do a compilation album with music from Baz's previous projects. The album was called Something for Everybody, and it was remixing the musical work they'd already done. So like songs from Strictly Ballroom and Romeo and Juliet, like remixed by Moby and like <laughs> put out. And yeah, put out. Basically. Yeah, basically. And how is that going to prepare them for a musical? Creatively, I guess. Okay. Um, so one of the songs from Romeo and Juliet is Everybody's Free, which is a cover of a club hit by Zimbabwean electronic musician Rosella. Everybody's free, parentheses, to feel good. Yeah. Everybody's free. Okay. So this is a Zimbabwean house song. Rosala. But like clearly just in New York. <laughs> well, I think Baz said he heard it in London in the clubs in London. Okay. I mean, I get it. It's, um, it reminds me of like, this is the rhythm of the night. Or something. Uh, yeah, great. So it's a beautiful song in the film. The cover that they did for the film uh, everybody's free it was performed by Quindon Tarver with the famed Cambridge Kings Choir. Everybody's free. Everybody's free. Everybody's free. Everybody's free. Everybody's free. Okay, so I get. I get, and I understand why they did this to prepare themselves for Mulan Rouge now. Oh, it's the kid from Hackers. Uh, yeah. And so, so the thing about the thing about Mulan Rouge is that they like do like bizarre remixes of pop songs, right? They do like right. "Smells Like Teen Spirit" or something. Right. And so like I now I understand like they're like, oh, we have the rights to all these old songs that exist. Let's see like how weird and different we can make them and still like Yes. Have them be like really cool and awesome. Right. They also so had I'm, Doves Doves Cry yeah. on the album on, that we are on discussing. This album or on the Milan Rouge album? This album. Ooh. Something for everyone. I love when doves cry. So yeah, so everybody's free to wear sunscreen samples from what we just heard performed by Tarver. Everybody's free. A little aside about Quindon Tarver. 
Apologies in advance. <laughs> he all, fun fact, he also appeared in Madonna's Like a Purr video in 1989. Was he like a little kid? Yeah. Oh, he was cool. a little kid in Romeo and Juliet, too. He's a little I, older. Right. I like his voice sounds familiar. Like, like I right, like, was he the voice of like, of the singing voice of Simba or something? Uh, I didn't, I don't think so. Okay. You can look that up. Um, but he was this one of, he was, he did When Doves Cry for Romeo and Juliet. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. So his cover of When Doves Cry went platinum and charted for 18 weeks. Wow. And I think I have a link of that for you to really quickly. Oh, see. good. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna ask if we could listen to it, but I know that you have yeah. a lot going I on. I got it. I got you. How can you leave me standing alone in a world that is so cold? Brian Dennehy is in fucking. Maybe I'm <laughs> just Yep. him you see him yeah 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 and so it seems like they sing this in the movie i don't remember this yeah. movie very well yeah you should rewatch it it's amazing the music's great the dancing is great the costumes are great i want a backbeat give me that backbeat <laughs> taking a little while to get going <laughs> There we go. Navro, Jamie Kennedy. Tarver released an 11-track solo album called Quindon. But after that, he disappeared from the music scene entirely until the early 2000s when he auditioned for American Idol. Oh, wow. So, trigger warning. In 2017, he told ABC News that his early career had been derailed because of sexual abuse in the music industry. Mm. He said, While in the music industry as a child, I was raped and molested. When that took place, I shared it with one person that I thought I could trust and confide in. This person went back and said something to my management at that time, and immediately I noticed there was this distance. They wouldn't answer the phone when I came out to L.A. It was extremely weird for me to experience such high success, to be in all the magazines, on a 90-city tour, traveling to Australia in first class, and getting paid to do what I love, and it be snatched away. It was very weird, and not only that, it was very hurtful. So, but this is like what we were saying 
on our blurred lines episode about like you can speak at like in the industry you can speak out against this these crimes that are happening to you and you're the one that gets punished absolutely yeah exactly and he's a kid child Yeah. yeah So a year after chopping the charts, he's literally back at his public school in Texas where he turned to drugs and alcohol to cope. So he had a rough go of it. Um, He attended rehab and then um, eventually appeared in American Idol seasons two and seven. Um, But Seasons two and seven. Yeah. I don't really Um, know how American Idol works. I didn't know that you could come back like that. I also am not a huge Idol person and I looked up season two because I remember it. It was Ruben, yeah, and uh, my boyfriend at the time, uh, his niece was obsessed with Idol, so Mm. I like kind of remembered that season a little bit from Savannah watching it, but um, he wasn't like on it. I think maybe he was just in the early auditions or something. I really couldn't confirm, but multiple sources reported that he was in seasons two and seven, so. Okay. I mean, I believe you. He was killed in a car crash. On April 1st of this year. This year? Yeah. Alexis struck the center barrier and struck another guardrail, and he died at a nearby hospital. So just totally random. Like, maybe it could have been drugs or alcohol. I don't know. I don't want to speculate. Um, his but, uncle but said... He, but his... But it wasn't... Was it his Lexus that struck the yeah, thing? Or, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, I see. He was, in he was a, behind the wheel. I see. In his own... Yeah, just he crashed. Gotcha. Um, and his uncle oh. said he had been working on a studio project that was planned to be released this year. So just wanted to give you the full story there. Uh, back to sunscreen. Poor, poor kid. <laughs> I mean, we take kids' lives away, you know? If someone had believed him, it would be a, an entirely different story. Absolutely. It's really sad. Or not, I, Wait, I take that back. I'm sure that everyone believed him. If someone had cared enough right. to do something about do it. Do something about it. Yeah. Fuck. This week's sponsor is stamps.com. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, Baz, um, as I mentioned, had loved Everybody's Free from his clubbing days in London. Baz told the BBC, okay, so just heads up, when you hear me say Baz told the BBC, there's a BBC documentary called The Sunscreen Song, and uh, y'all can check that out if you want to hear more. Um, there's like um, accounts from all of the players involved they're interviewed and you can hear from straight from them but so yeah so if you hear me say that bbc you know where to go yeah okay so bass told the bbc uh in those days it was unusual to take pop music and interpret it to church music which is what we did Mm, i mean (laughs) madonna did that in 1986 quindon tarver was there but sure 89 but 89 sorry um remember i said uh baz was working with anton monstead for this album mm-hmm. for the for they, for everybody's free the all the remixes that he was doing you mean something for everybody the album was something called. for everybody yeah so they were both pretty jazzed on this idea of creating some type of spoken word pop song but they didn't know what they wanted it to be okay <laughs> which, so, which was but why though was that the next logical step was like we took pop music and made it church music and now we'll take spoken word and make it pop music and everyone's like like rap and he's like no like yeah i mean I, that's kind of how i imagine it they're just literally like <laughs> what can we do like we have free reign to be creative and do weird stuff <laughs> i think that the, we're like watching or listening to him jump the shark 
right? Where he's like, what if we took a hot dog and ate it on a hamburger <laughs> bun? And everyone's like, you can do that, I guess. Well, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. So they're like, yeah, we're going to do the spoken word song. But they didn't know what it's going to be. They knew that it was going to be the background of everyone's free. Mm-hmm. So that's when Anton's friend sent him an email that was going viral telling him, you have to check out this MIT commencement speech by Kurt Vonnegut. The email said, how brilliant is Kurt Vonnegut? And Anton says he was a huge fan of Slaughterhouse-Five. Me too. Favorite book. He told the BBC, I thought, how incredible that Kurt Vonnegut's still alive and well and delivering nuggets of wisdom to students in America. So the, the words in the email was everyone's free to wear sunscreen, the words that you now know. So I think we got to set the scene a little bit. This is what year? This is 1997. So like... E- going viral via email is like a, a big deal oh yeah for and we're gonna talk more about that too oh really <laughs> yeah. okay yeah, yeah yeah okay so yeah so he gets this email it's going around chain chain email uh, <laughs> status and it's like this is the 1997 mit commencement speech by kurt vonnegut and everyone's right. like gaga over it so Anton said that because Vonnegut's name was attached to it, he imbued it with even more gravitas, like the words sure. meant more. And uh, he said, as a Vonnegut fan, I fell over myself to think these were words of genius. <laughs> yeah, I like it. So it must be good. <laughs> yeah. So he sends the email to Baz and Baz is like, why don't we just record it? Because as it turned out, Baz was exploring the idea of doing an opera of Slaughterhouse-Five with Vonnegut at the time. Oh, Okay what the (laughs) fuck (laughs) yeah so he's like cool we'll just call up kurt and we'll just ask him for it i would watch a slaughterhouse five opera i'm actually in (laughs) for that i'm buying tiktok it Uh, tiktok source it slaughterhouse five opera that's that's what gen z gen zers love (laughs) fucking time travel and world war ii great so they call up vonnegut and they ask for the rights to do the song Except the 1997 MIT commencement address was given by Secretary General of the UN, Kofi Annan. Did Kofi Annan write everyone's free, everyone's free <laughs> to wear sunscreen? Let us <laughs> congratulate the best, the brightest, the most dedicated, the most thoughtful, and the most likely to succeed MIT class ever. Eva. The class of Eva. 1997. Woo! Okay. So here's here's my so like this is like one of those things where af- when you look back on it you're like why would Kurt Vonnegut speak at MIT right they don't have a literature program they're MIT right and when Kurt Vonnegut finally spoke on the subject he's like of course I didn't give an address at MIT <laughs> <laughs> Dumb. Um, but I believed but- it I was like yeah that that tracks wait a minute uh-uh. But the Kurt Vonnegut sunscreen speech email is going viral. So so it must be true. When Vonnegut gets back to Baz and Anton, he's like, yeah, I'm aware of this piece. I know it's being credited to me, but I didn't actually write it. So this is where Kurt and Anton say they set off in search of the true author. Why am I not doing this story? I, I'm all about the true author's stories. <laughs> Enter Mary Schmeek. Pardon? Schmeek? Mary Schmeek was a columnist for the Chicago Tribune and Brenda Starr cartoonist. 
Schmidt told the BBC that one day in May of 1997, she was needing to write her third column of the week, and it was Friday, and she had no idea what she was going to write this. about. I love this. So, <laughs> so she's walking to work, and she sees this young woman sunbathing. My first thought was, this is her, Mary's quote, my first thought was, oh my God, I hope she's wearing sunscreen, because I didn't at that age, and I have the lines to show it. I was laughing at myself. I thought, you know, I have reached an age... I was in my early 40s then, where all I want to do is give advice to young people, high school people and college age people. And I thought, well, you know, it's graduation time. So I thought, you know what I could do? I could write a mock graduation speech for my column. Mm -hmm. So she told the BBC that she spent the afternoon in a pleasant state writing down advice. Then she went home, didn't think about it. It came out in the Chicago Tribune that Sunday. And the headline was advice like youth probably just wasted on the young. I love that. <laughs> and the first paragraph, I'm just going to read the first paragraph because it's the only part that's not in the sunscreen song. Oh, wow. <laughs> Inside every adult lurks a graduation speaker dying to get out. Some world-weary pundit eager to pontificate on life to young people who'd rather be rollerblading. Rollerblading. Yeah, right. <laughs> Most rather of be us, TikToking. <laughs> yeah. Most of us, alas, will never be invited to sow our words of wisdom among an audience of caps and gowns, but there's no reason we can't entertain ourselves by composing a guide to life for graduates. I encourage anyone over 26 to try this, and I thank you for indulging my attempt. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 97, wear sunscreen. And then it goes on. I find this kind of moving. Right? <laughs> it's it's like it's like a little bit finger waggy. Like I'm old now, so you better listen to me. But like it is this it is this kind of meditation on aging that the song is not. With How with so? the co- with the context of that first paragraph, I mean. Got it. Like, sure. Like like it she humbles knows, it a little. Yeah, it humbles it a little and it says like I'm I know that you're gonna ignore this and that's okay, but like just let I'm old, so just let me say my piece. But I also just love that she's like on a deadline and she's got to come up with something. Yeah. And then someone's like, Kurt Vonnegut, Francis Ford Coppola says, <laughs> you know, these like misattributed quotes. I like, I like, do you, did you listen to the or watch the, the Bo Burnham special inside? Uh, I've heard the music from it because Claire, but I did sure. not watch it. I'm obsessed with the music from it, but the white woman's Instagram song, there's like one line oh, yeah, I know that it. Like, kills me, which is a random quote from Lord of the Rings incorrectly attributed to Martin Luther King. Yes. And hilarious. I'm like, yeah, you and could so just true. say. <laughs> so, so that's what, that's what the like douchebag, probably misogynist literati are doing. Like, oh, this is a smart thing written by a woman right. or Kurt Vonnegut. Right. Yeah. So a couple months later, Mary was getting emails that didn't make sense. She said that the <laughs> she said she was like getting messages that said, "I remember reading it in your column, but now it says that it was Kurt Vonnegut's graduation address at MIT." So Schmeek says she laughed out loud and she thought it was funny. And then a journalist friend told her, "You know, this could be a problem for you because it looks yes. like you plagiarized Kurt Vonnegut." Yes. And oh so- my God, Mary Schmeek's about to become the first victim of the internet. <laughs> yes so then she's like sweating and she said she went through this quick like half a second in her brain where she was like did i did i do did i steal this yes! <laughs> i fucking love this lady <laughs> i mean i i I've, i'm i'm a little bit worried about what's about to happen to her but 
Did, did I take this? Did, <laughs> Am I crazy? Right? So she somehow manages to find Kurt Vonnegut's number. I mean, she's a journalist. She's resourceful. <laughs> so she calls him up. That's a weird <laughs> phone call. Did I write this or did you write this? Right? So she said she's like, hi, I'm Mary Schmeek. I wrote this thing about sunscreen. And he starts laughing and he's like, oh my God, that was you. I'm getting so many calls from people asking me about it. Of course, I didn't write it. Of course, I didn't give a graduation address at MIT. So this was really cool. I found this little piece from 1997 from the New York Times called What Vonnegut Never Said. It's all the talk of the internet's gossip underground. So I'm going to read an excerpt from this now because this really gives the lens of like the brand new internet and like what's happening. <laughs> so, so, but is this specifically about the sunscreen thing or just like everything? Yes. Okay. No, this is about this. This is before okay. the song ever came out. This is 1997. This is so just the New York Times like gets a whiff of this. <laughs> yeah. And writes funny. about it. It's funny because I was about to say a famous quote who, what, that I thought was Mark Twain, which is that a lie travels around the world while the a lie can travel halfway around the world before the while the truth is still getting its boots on and then i was like but is that actually mark twain and then i looked <laughs> it up and it's not oh my god who is it so it seems like it is uh from a 1787 collection of sermons by thomas franklin uh falsehood will fly as it were on the wings of the wind and carry its tails to every corner of the earth whilst truth lags behind her steps though sure are slow and solemn that's like the oldest and there's like a alexander pope version and a uh <laughs> jean baptiste Cocteau version and uh you know there's like a bunch of different versions but that seems to be the first one and i'm like but like my instinct was you know just to say that it was Mark Twain. It's actually could be Jonathan Swift from 1710. Falsehood flies and truth come truth comes limping after it. But like, I don't know. I don't fucking know, man. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but I almost did the thing to talk about the thing. The thing. <laughs> I almost did the thing. Meta. So meta. It's like a red curtain. Red curtain trilogy. Okay. So Yes, this is the New York Times piece called It's All uh, What Vonnegut Never Said. It's all the talk of the Internet's gossip underground. Okay, I'm going to read this expert now. So it went that Kurt Vonnegut's wife received an email late last week that purported to reprint a commencement speech he gave this year at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. It was short and funny, and it began, ladies and gentlemen of the class of 1997, wear sunscreen. She was so pleased, Mr. Vonnegut said in an interview yesterday. She sent it on to a whole lot of people, including my his kids. Wife, his How wife? clever I am. His yeah. wife? His, his wife. wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sent it on to a whole lot of people, including my kids. How clever I am. If Mr. Vonnegut's own wife, the photographer Gerald Kremens, did not doubt that he was the address's author, it is no surprise that an unknown multitude of others, perhaps hundreds of thousands of people wired into the internet, also did. Jill. <laughs> Jill, come here. We're going to have to have a talk, Jill. She's just a proud wife, okay? I, I, that's like, <laughs> but also like, she's an old lady. It's the internet. It's a email yeah. forward. Like, I, <laughs> yeah. I get it. Also like, okay, there's like, I'm, I wouldn't necessarily even call myself like a Vonnegut super fan, but like, so it went. Fuck you guys. So douchey. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, 
the last line of slaughterhouse five they make a big deal out of it is so it goes and like all of the vonnegut like obsessives have so it goes tattoos tattoos (laughs) my ex-girlfriend so it is just (laughs) like you said my ex my college girlfriend wanted to get a so it goes tattoo and i thought that was awesome because it was 2008 I'm sure you did. Okay, at least since Friday, the speech has bounced around the world through email. In the process, yet another prominent cyber hoax, maybe simply an innocent cyber mistake, was born. The speech was never really a speech at all. It was a newspaper column written by Mary Schmeech, a columnist for the Chicago Tribune, who said she wrote it while high on coffee and M&Ms on May 31st. Hi, listeners of Even the Future here, as is completely our brand from here until the end of the show, we start mispronouncing Mary Schmeek's last name as Mary Smeech or Mary Schmeech. We apologize to Mary and all of you for spreading misinformation. I love Mary. <laughs> it was printed in her newspaper under her byline without reference to Vonnegut or MIT. Five days later, the United Nations Secretary General Kofi Annan delivered his own commencement speech at MIT, where Mr. Vonnegut has never been the commencement speaker. <laughs> yeah. See, this is this is my favorite thing about internet hoaxes is like very easily disprovable things that people just don't right. care about. <laughs> the question Mr. Vonnegut and Miss Smeech are now asking is what exactly happened between June 1 and now? For Mr. Vonnegut, who had no trouble envisioning the future in his novels, the episode seems to have cemented his already cranky belief that the internet is not a part of the future worth trusting. He's not wrong. (laughs) Quote Vonnegut, how can I know whether I'm being kidded or not or lied to? He asked from his home on Eastern Long Island, where he somewhat defiantly does not surf the internet or get email. I don't know what the point is, except how gullible people are on the internet. Miss Smeech, who received about 250 emails yesterday, had a similar reaction. How quaint. I've heard from a couple of cyber lovers out there excoriating me for damaging the internet, she said. But this is just one of those stories that reminds you of the lawlessness of cyberspace. Until this moment, I thought it was just one of the curiosities of cyberspace, she added. But having been roped into it in a very personal way, it suddenly seems less merely interesting and more dangerous. The column spread from one online community to the next, where it was regarded as, in Miss Rice's words, a very down-to-earth, practical, basic guide for living. As long as Mr. Vonnegut was believed to be the author, the internet proved once again what people have said often, that it can keep people in touch instantaneously, free, and around the world. This is wonderful. Just one more reason why everybody needs to read Vonnegut, wrote one discussion group fan who calls herself Susie F. (laughs) You could just say Susie F. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) But then, as the word began to get around over the weekend that Mr. Vonnegut was not the author, the other perception of the internet, as unreliable hotbed of hoaxes and wild-eyed conspiracies, took the four. Amazing, right? Yeah, they're not wrong. I mean, they tried to warn us. Right? Yeah. (laughs) Even after people began to realize that the speech was a hoax, one news group member urged people yesterday. It existed. (laughs) Hold on. This is is the best part. This is so... This is so humans. Okay. Even after people began to realize that the speech was a hoax, one news group member urged people yesterday not to believe that it was not Mr. Vonnegut's work. This is part of a promotion for an upcoming Vonnegut book, the writer wrote. One of the characters in the book is a newspaper columnist. And guess what her name is? Mary Smeech. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me that they're <laughs> false flagging yeah. the sunscreen song? <laughs> yeah. 
In fact, Mr. Vonnegut never even heard of Miss Meech until last Friday. The day before, oh his lawyer God. got a request from a magazine to reprint the column. He told his lawyer he did not write the prose. More requests started pouring in. Finally, on Friday, he got a call from Miss Meech, who was beginning to be buried in calls and emails about the column and wanted to tell him that a lot of people were confusing her work with his. The online version of Wired Magazine used part of it as its quote of the day. <laughs> mm, and probably misattributed it, right? Yeah. What I said to oh Mary Smeech on the telephone was that what she wrote was funny and wise and charming, so I would have been proud had the words been mine, he said, but she's not hurt and I'm not hurt. Miss Meech said she tried to trace what happened. She had originally sent the column to two friends, one in New York City, the other in Michigan, but they denied passing it along. A colleague at work said he had sent it out to a friend. So she has not been able to solve the basic questions. Who did it and why? Is it a deliberate hoax of little consequence or layers thick mistake based on the possibility that Mr. Vonnegut could have written something like this? I think it's I would I would say that hoaxes like this always start with some kind of quasi honest mistake. And it's it it's truly dangerous when you get to the point of confirmation bias being presented with the with the facts and then being like, no, no, it's a psyop. <laughs> Vonnegut is Mary Smeech. <laughs> yeah. So now Vonnegut Holy knows shit. who the real author is. And I imagine he is the one who tipped off Baz because a few weeks later, Baz called up Mary and leaves a voicemail and sure. says, And he seems like a good enough dude that would be like, Oh, you're looking for Mary. Right. So he, he leaves Mary a voicemail that says, I have an idea for the material. That's it. That's all it says. <laughs> That's the quote that Mary gave about I it. Swear, BBC. I'm gonna I'm gonna call you in the middle of the night <laughs> and just leave you the voicemail that says, I have an idea for the material. Mary, it's Baz. <laughs> Mary, it's Baz. No, it's gotta be Australian. Mary, it's Baz. That's no, bad. <laughs> That's I terrible. Can't, can't do it. Material no, can't do it. Sorry. I tried everyone. Vegemite. Uh, so- <laughs> Mary's into it. She likes idea. And so they're doing it. So now Baz and Anton are looking for a voice artist. I'm really, really glad that this got settled before Baz put it in a song and didn't credit the real author. Well, because like hold on. 20. What? Really? No. <laughs> but he talked to her on the phone. Yeah, no, it's not that they don't credit her. Um, oh. Okay. It's like they. They liked the hoax, and they're like, let's perpetuate the hoax. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course they did. Yeah. So they, they're they looking for a voice artist, and they're like, let's try to find someone that sounds like Kurt Vonnegut to mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. Um, they would never, they, never have a woman do it. Never have a woman, no. In a, not in a trillion years. No, no, no. This is a little clip of Kurt Vonnegut saying something funny that I got for us. The last thing I ever wanted was to be alive when the three most important, most powerful people on the face of the earth were named Bush, Dick, and Colin. What a guy. What a guy. Uh, R.I.P. Colin Powell. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so they're looking for someone that sounds like Kurt Vonnegut, so I I gave you a little sample of Kurt Vonnegut's voice. Uh, They found an Australian voice impersonator called Lee Perry, known for having over 100 distinct voices. For being a voice impersonator, he doesn't sound that like, like that much like Kurt Vonnegut. Maybe he's well, rolling it back a little. They once they start working with Lee, they decide they want the voice to be a cross between Kurt and JFK. 
Because, quote, whenever you hear JFK speaking, you trust what's being said. Okay, sure. So they record the vocals at Baz's house in Sydney. Anton recorded Lee's vocals on a rented mic and a dat machine. That's, that's yeah, what I thought he was recorder. saying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was like a. It was like a one of the earlier types of portable recorders. Okay. There's dat and nagra. Okay. So because it was at the end of their recording project, they had spent their whole budget. So this is the last song they recorded for the <laughs> album. <laughs> it made ten times more money than <laughs> yeah. Um, and they had Lee record 97, 98, 99, all the way into the 2000s because they weren't totally sure when oh, it would be released. Just that first line. Yeah. The class of 99. To me, the, to me, the, the vocalist doesn't sound like Vonnegut, doesn't sound like Kennedy, sounds like Christian Slater. Yeah. You know, I mean, he, they, I don't know, they came up with a vision and he delivered on it. He does all kinds of voices here's actually a clip of him doing it a few other ways ladies and gentlemen the class of 99 yeah wear sunscreen if i could offer you only one tip for the future sunscreen would be it what are we trying as donald trump no uh ladies and gentlemen the class of 99 98 whatever it was i don't know i got a tip for you why don't you just wear sunscreen oh the the screen was off but everything else was really good is this of the time was that recording from 99 him doing donald trump i think i think it's from 2019 okay ladies and gentlemen the class of 99 wear sunscreen if I could it is more walking. It's like a walking Arnold. It's a walking Arnold hybrid. It's not a good. It's not a good Arnold. It's, a really, it's really not. I thought the same thing about Christopher Walken too. <laughs> um, okay, so that was just a little fun thing. So now the album is done, and they're trying to shop the album around, but no radio stations want to play a seven-minute right. like sunscreen. I can't imagine that anyone would ever want to play this. Yeah, no one wants to play this stuff, especially sunscreen. Right. But a local station had an arts program, and Baz booked himself for it because he's still Baz Luhrmann. He's still right, highly sought after. And so he goes on the show, and he talks about his movies, etc. But the deal was that they would play one song off the album if he came on. So it's like midnight, and they put on sunscreen. And someone's like comes and taps on the glass and is like, uh, the switchboard is lighting up and they can't keep up with the calls coming in asking about the song. Like people what are going bonkers. <laughs> so <laughs> the what following a morning <laughs> time to live. <laughs> so the following morning the station um played it in the morning for the breakfast show. Because because it had lit up the switchboards the night before? The night before, yeah. Oh, my God. And so by the end of the week, Baz says it was the biggest song in Australia on every single station. Holy shit. Australians are weird, man. Well, yeah, but then he just replicates the whole move in the U.S., like finds an arts program on a California radio station, gets them to play the track. Um, the New York Times magazine ran a little piece on Sunday, January 31st, 1999. This is from that. Imagine Mary Smeech's Smeech. What was it? How did I say her name? Smeech? Smeech? I think. I think it's Smeech. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> Imagine Mary Smeech's surprise when the Chicago Tribune columnist and writer of the Brenda Starr comic strip discovered that a mock graduation address she had wrote turned into the feel-good anthem of the internet set, somehow misattributed to the novelist Kurt Vonnegut in its race down the Info Superhighway. Info Superhighway. <laughs> 
yeah, so it was just a little piece. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's just basically um, talking about how the piece spread. Um, one radio station in Oregon picked it up and they edited out an extraneous vocal riff. That was not extraneous. That was the Tarver part. Yeah, that's And started playing it weird. at a cool 4.30. A cool 4.30, which is <laughs> just a four minute, 30 second lecture. It's definitely the most requested song we have now, says the station's program director, Mark Hamilton. The song, this is me now, back to me. The song was an unexpected worldwide hit, reaching number 45 on the Billboard Hot 100 in the U.S. and number one in the U.K. Uh, Mary says that today people still reach out to tell her this, tell her the significance of the song's words and the lessons and the wisdom it imparted on them. People who listen to it every day, people who change their relationships with their parents because of it, people who showed it to their kids when they were having body issues. Wow. Uh, she also still gets letters that she needs to repent for stealing from Kurt Vonnegut. <laughs> Mary. <laughs> right. Um, last year in April... Baz released a new version of the song. What? Encouraging quarantining. No. And using <laughs> bits of a recent address from Queen Elizabeth. Was it actually Queen Elizabeth or was it Carvania? <laughs> Here, I'll send you the link. No. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 2020, quarantine. <laughs> Um, so this was an Instagram post and the quote was, put this together with friends in the hope that it might brighten somebody's day. Sing, dance, create anything on a video, upload and tag it, or send me a link at screen, sunscreen at bazmark.com. We'll create something together and hashtag we'll meet again 2020. So this is Sunscreen We'll Meet Again Class of 2020 by Vika Bull, Quindon Tarver, Lee Perry, and Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. She doesn't get top billing. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 2020. Is this the same guy? Stay home. If I could offer yeah, Lee Perry. You one tip for oh, the future. That, oh, that's Lee Perry. Yeah. Staying home would be it. The benefits to society of staying home and washing your hands have been proven by scientists. Because my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience, let us hear instead from Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. What the fuck? I'm speaking to you at what I know is an increasingly challenging time. A time of disruption in the life of our country. <laughs> a disruption that has brought grief to some, financial difficulties to many, and enormous changes to the daily lives of us all. I want to thank everyone on the NHS frontline, as well as care workers and those carrying out essential roles so okay they have added a filter to the queen's voice to make it sound like it's an old world war ii old-timey fireside <laughs> chat or something there's no reason that it sounds like that i'm sparing many families the pain already felt it's art together we are tackling this disease and I want to reassure you that if we remain united and resolute, then we will overcome it. I hope in the years to come, everyone will be able to take pride in how they responded to this challenge. And those who come after us will say the Britons of this generation were as strong as any. That the attributes 
of self-discipline. But I also think that, like, like, this is weirdly, like, if you wanted to understand the secret sauce that Mary Sweech brought to this, like, this does not have the magic of that other one. No. And it's the just other one was like delightful and innocent. In <laughs> this one's like a little bit. I mean, it's like kind of moving, but it's like very depressing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't need the queen. I well, um, I need the the queen was better than Lee. Whoever wrote Lee's copy was rolling. <laughs> was not great. Um. Well, uh, the one other thing actually that we could talk about really quickly, which we kind of touched upon, is how like it's ridiculous that they wouldn't even consider doing a woman's voice. And in the, Mary told the BBC that she thinks now people would be more receptive to hearing a woman, but I don't think so. I still I don't think, think so. it would have been a And man. frankly, like, I'm kind of examining my own, my own biases and, like, my own preferences. And I think that part of the charm of this is it sounds like a science teacher or something, right? It sounds like, a, like an affable old man that's like, don't read beauty magazines. Um, right and we expect women to be like maternal and give advice like this but it's more unexpected when it's coming from this like crotchety old man sounding guy yeah 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 exactly like this this is the guy that's like on his lawn giving out advice with like a you know a stick to smack the kids if they get but it's also kind of like when like a dad does something normal like just be a parent we're like oh but like moms are just like running marathons and doing everything yeah i wonder if that's it right like like if this was a woman talking it would be like why am i listening to this there's nothing special about it because it's just a woman giving advice which happens all the time versus a guy who's like is making sense for once and and like and we're being like, vulnerable wow. yeah and being vulnerable and talking about like kind of looking back and and there's like a, some demonstration of emotional intelligence in it and we're right. like a man really well, i gotta <laughs> listen to this again <laughs> can i get this on vinyl <laughs> um yeah so i i distinctly remember that i owned this song now that's what i call music volume two and that is the last song on that record on that compilation of course. That makes sense and so i so i like because that was the one that came out in 99 and i like de- ver- like very very vividly remember like owning it <laughs> jamming out J- not jam- i mean that record had baby one more time you get what you give closing time sick favorite mistake praise you never there by cake so i good. need your arms around me i need to feel your touch mm, dun, 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 <laughs> dun. father of mine which i owned because i sick. had the other record um anyway right. uh so much for the afterglow unbelievably good record unbelievably no skip agreed literally none <laughs> um anyway so what are we going out on this week we are going out on Not the Sunscreen Song it's by a, Australian radio a, personality, satirist, oh, wait, and documentarian ca- wait, 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 John wait, 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 wait. Saffron. It's called Not the Sunscreen Song. Yeah. Okay. By, uh, by Australian satirist. John Saffron. 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 John Saffron. Okay. Not the Sunscreen Song. Okay. It's a little darker than Sunscreen, girls and boys. Okay. Ready? Yeah. 
Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 98. Is he in a church? People often ask me Looks like if it. I have any advice to offer. And when they do, I tell them this. If you're unsure about what you're going to do with your life, try to remember some of the most interesting people didn't know what they were going to do at age 22 or even at 40. And nearly all of them are unemployed drug addicts forced to live on cat food. Also understand that friends will come and go. This is because of your irritating personality. Nobody likes you. So if the only thing getting you through the day is the misconception that people like you, end it now. What? Would we call this satire? If you're underaged, get an older kid to buy I don't know. I would call it mean. Get to yeah. really know your parents. They're good for Ah, yes. Let's just give okay. bad advice then to people. Honka honka. Travel as often as you can. Live in New York City once. Live in Northern California once. Never live in Adelaide. <laughs> it's a hole. I like Adelaide. Maybe you'll marry. Maybe you won't. Maybe you'll have children. Maybe you won't. If you do have children, lock them under the stairs. Do one thing each day that scares you. Sing. Dance. Jump in front of a car. Do not trust anyone who tries to update Shakespeare for the kids. And if you see Quindon Tarver <laughs> in the street, punch him in the face for me. Okay, so we so we have to talk about a couple things. Okay. They literally could not find a black person, and so they got like a little Indian boy to play Quindon Tarver. Is that what happened? I mean, are you watching this video? Yeah, I saw it. <laughs> that must be it, right? Ring up your school at the scheduled time and make a bomb threat. If you're a girl, lie about I feel like it's racist. I mean, it wouldn't be uh, it wouldn't be out of the question for an Australian person to be racist. Shoplift as often as you can. Shopping centers factor shoplifting into their prices. So if you don't do it, it's like they're getting money for free. This, I agree with that. Work experience. <laughs> Steal a cab charge and take a taxi to Perth. Wear sunscreen. But only if it's that coconut oil that gives you cancer. Keep your old love letters. If you see an old lover in the street, try to run him over in your car. Oh, fuck. Don't mess too much with your hair. Or else by the time you're 35, you'll look like Greg Matthews. Remember, you can wear your underwear four times without washing. Forwards, backwards, inside out forwards, inside out backwards. (laughs) Where can people find us on the internet, Lindsay? Find us on the internet at Lyrics for Lunch on Instagram and Twitter. Or for longer and weirder stuff, a, send us an email. It's a stuffed bear reading mind comp. Uh, sorry, uh, for longer and weirder stuff, shoot us an email at lyricsforlunch at gmail.com. Did you say that already? And I was just looking I started at to. a bear reading mind comp. Yeah. Uh, if you want to support the show, go to our website, lyricsforlunch.com. Click support. 
Yeah, and like and subscribe and rate and review. It's the best way for people to find us. It's the best way to never miss an episode. And tune in next week when we'll be doing this all over again with another song. I don't know if I'm ready to do the one that I texted about you about today. It will be a, a big tangent episode, but uh, we'll, we'll be doing this again uh, with a new one. And until next time, I'm Aviv Rubenstein. I'm Lindsay Tucker. Saying, properly cite your email forwards. <laughs> and, and get the sunscreen that doesn't hurt the coral reefs. Yeah. You'll miss them when you're kneecapped by a loan shark. Get revenge. Don't forgive anyone for anything. But most of all, don't aim too high. You're probably only suited to an office or factory job. And trust me on the Winnie Blues.